Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so very glad you're here, whether you're joining us today in person or online. My name is Seth, and this is The Foundry, where we are all about... <laughs> it's only every week, every week. Let's, let's, let's try it again. We're, we're all about a... Oh, you guys, such beautiful voices. Such beautiful voices. So we're in week five of our series, The Gospel According to Sinead, looking at the life and music of Sinead O'Connor, our primary focus being on like uh, the meaning behind her music. Now, in case you haven't been here, we're saying The Gospel According to Sinead. We don't mean that Sinead is the gospel. Like, be like her is not the point, but rather like we're looking for these truths found within her music and, and some of the thing, aspects of her life. She, had, uh, she was a bit of a mess in some of her personal life, and, and we understand that. We don't agree with everything she said or did, but it doesn't mean that we can't find truth within some of what she was doing, okay? So uh, we've been following like the timeline order of Sinead's life. Last week, we looked at the song called V.I.P., which I, I, is one of my favorites. Uh, and we talked about this idea that there's this continual insistence throughout the Bible to look out and care for the least of these. Um, that that the, the Bible is continually instructing us uh, to be on the side. I, I forgot the TV. Is that what I forgot? Yeah, I got it. I got it. You could have just given me the nod or something. Um, there we go. Guys, better you, better world. Um, Sometimes we just forget stuff. I, under, I empathize. What are we talking about? Okay, so we looked at last week VIP. So this week we move on. Uh, two things today we're going to look at. One is a letter, and then the other is a song. Okay, so we're going to start with the letter, and then we're going to get into the song. Now, in 2013, which, by the way, at this point is a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, time flies. Uh, a decade ago... Uh, the, uh, Miley Cyrus, not Sinead O'Connor, Miley Cyrus put out a song, put out an album called Bangers. In this album, there was a song called Wrecking Ball. You may be familiar with it. It's, it's an interesting song. It's a good, I like the song. It's a good song. Um, in an interview with Rolling Stone magazine, Miley Cyrus made the comment that her video for Wrecking Ball was inspired by Sinead O'Connor and her music video for her song, Nothing Compares to You. So here's a picture of, uh, from Sinead's video. It's just kind of her head uh, floating in space in the blackness. And most of the video is just, just that. It's just the head and with a few other things, but primarily just that. Uh, so this is a picture from Miley's, uh, the beginning of Miley's video, which is just this at the beginning. But unlike Sinead's video, this uh, video takes like a, a different course. Um, Miley shows like a lot of everything else, whereas Sinead just shows her head. And then Miley's video becomes quite sexual in nature. So uh, Miley made this comment that her video was based off of Sinead's video. Now, when she made this comment, a lot of interviews, media tried to reach out to Sinead for like a comment on like, what did you think about what Miley said? And so rather than sitting down and doing an interview, Sinead wrote a letter to Miley Cyrus that she posted on her website, an open letter, for her to hopefully see and for everyone else to have access to. So what I want to do is I want to look at this letter. Not all of it, but a large majority of it, okay? Are you ready? She says this, Dear Miley, I wasn't going to write this letter, 
But today I've been dodging phone calls from various newspapers who wish me to remark upon your having said in your Rolling Stone, in Rolling Stone, your wrecking ball video was designed to be similar to the one for Nothing Compares. So this is what I need to say. And it is said in the spirit of motherliness and with love. I'm extremely concerned for you that those around you have led you to believe or encouraged you in your own belief that it is in any way cool to be naked and licking sledgehammers in your videos. <laughs> okay. It is in fact the case that you will obscure your talent by allowing yourself to be pimped, whether, it is the mu it, whether it's the music business or yourself doing the pimping. Nothing, uh, nothing but harm will come in the long run from allowing yourself to be exploited, and it is absolutely not in any way an empowerment of yourself or any other young women. For you to send across the message that you are to be valued, even by you, more for your sexual appeal than your obvious talent. I'm happy to hear I am somewhat of a role model for you, and I hope that because of that, you will pay close attention to what I'm telling you. The music business doesn't give a care about you or any of us. They will prostitute you for all you are worth and cleverly make you think it is, it's what you wanted. And when you end up in rehab as a result of being prostituted, they will be sunning themselves on their yachts in Antigua, which they bought by selling your body and you will find yourself very alone. Yes, I'm suggesting you don't care for yourself. That has to change. You ought to be protected as a precious young lady by anyone in your employ and anyone around you, including you. Don't be under any illusion. All of them want you because they're making money off of your youth and your beauty, which they could not do except for the fact that your youth makes you blind to the evils of show business. You said in Rolling Stone that your look is based on mine. The look I chose, I chose on purpose at a time when my record company were encouraging me to do what you have done. I felt I would rather be judged on my talent and not my looks. I'm happy that I made that choice, not least because I do not find myself on the proverbial rag heap now that I am almost 47 years of age, which unfortunately many female artists who have based their image around their sexuality end up on when they reach middle age. Whether we like it or not, us females in the industry are role models, and as such, we have to be extremely careful what messages we send to other women. The message you keep sending is that it's somehow cool to be prostituted. It's so not cool, Miley. It's dangerous. Women are to be valued for so much more than their sexuality. We aren't merely objects of desire. I would be encouraging you to send healthier messages to your peers, that they and you are worth more than what is currently going on in your career. Kindly fire any person who hasn't expressed alarm because they don't care about you. Sinead coming in hot, dropping some truth bombs all over the place in this one. I kind of want to like frame this and put it in my daughter's room as she's growing up. Is that, is that too much? Like, <laughs> my mom put like pictures of ducks. I'm putting like Sinead quotes in my daughter's room. Now, unfortunately, um, Sinead, or uh, Miley in her youth, she did not receive this commentary very well. That's a different issue. 
There's a lot of things that we could talk about based on this letter, but there's two big things I want to address, okay? And I'll try to keep it somewhat brief. The first is just wisdom. First is wisdom. I love how Sinead starts her letter. She says this is, that this is coming from a place of motherliness and love. So her heart is in this place that even though these words may seem tough, may seem a bit harsh, the underlying thought and feeling is, is love. Sinead is at this point where she's nearly 47. She's been in the music business since she was 20, which means she's been in the industry just shy of like 30 years. She's seen it all. She's been through it all. She's lived it all, the goods, the bad. So if there's anyone who is qualified here to speak to this young woman about her career at this point in her life, it's Sinead. She has the experience. She has the wisdom, and this should be valued. I think for us, too, it's just helpful, mindful. It's something we should keep in mind that whatever stage in life we're at, with whatever it is you're trying to do in your life, that it's really important for us to try to find the people who are a little bit further down the road than we are, find the people a little bit further down the path, and then be open to the insight that they may have for you, whether it's marriage, whether it's kids, whether it's work, whether it's whatever, whatever it is you're doing, find somebody that you can look to that you will be willing to die to the self enough that you will be willing to say, I don't have it all figured out and allow their insight to have influence in you. This is why, like, there's a whole section of the Bible called, called the wisdom literature. This, this is why I absolutely love this section, the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Wisdom, wisdom literature in the scripture is so very helpful, so very important. Take from the book of Ecclesiastes, for example. This is a record of the life of Solomon. He's saying, here's what I did. Here's what I learned, right? There's all kinds of great stuff in there. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3.1, there's a time for everything in a season for every activity under the sun. Sometimes it's going to be busy. Sometimes it's going to be slow. Sometimes you're going to be happy. Sometimes you're going to be sad. It's okay. That's part of it. There's a time and a season for everything. Ecclesiastes 5.12, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat uh, little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Yeah, there's wisdom within this about where values and priorities are and how we spend our life. What about Ecclesiastes 7.9? Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? Has anyone caught themselves recently saying, oh, the good old days? Yeah. Uh, for it's not wise to ask such a question. This is all wisdom. This is from an older gentleman looking back on his life going, let me teach you something. The Bible is packed full of wisdom from people who have been down the road ahead of us. And so no matter what it is we're facing in life, there's all these examples for us to use, to learn from, to grow from. Right? Don't be so stubborn to think you have it all figured out. Now, the second thing with this, with this letter is that I think we're pointing out is the role, the rights, the treatment of women, okay? Um, I, I, obviously, I can't speak to what it's like to be a woman in our world. I, I can try my best to try to not contribute to the issues, to contribute to the difficulties, but, but I appreciate what Sinead is attempting to say here to Miley, that women are to be valued for more than their sexuality. And I know it may seem kind of like, yeah, duh, like, obviously, but also we live in a culture that seems to continually point us back in that direction. And I think the problem is, is that anytime we reduce any human to any one single aspect of their humanity, there's the potential for danger and exploitation. And even though we're in a better place as a culture than we used to be, there's still a lot of room for us to grow. 
There's, there's still, still a lot of room for us to do better when it comes to equality for women, right? Saying it's better than it used to be isn't saying a whole lot. Like, did you know that, like, it wasn't until the 1900s that women could, like, own property without being married or without the consent of their husbands? Women in America weren't allowed to vote until the 1920s in the women's suffrage movement. That isn't that long ago. And when we say women in America weren't allowed to own property or vote until the 19, early 1900s, we're talking about white women. This doesn't include women of color. Black women weren't allowed to vote till like 1965 or something. So depending upon like your age and your like skin tone, either your grandma or your great grandma living in the land of the free were fairly restricted. Did you know that women weren't allowed to have credit cards until 1970? Yeah. Oh, we long for the good old days. I don't mean that. Settle, settle down. I'm on your side, ladies. <laughs> Did you know that even as of 2022, that there was a 17% difference in male to females and what they make in the workplace? That for every dollar a male earns, a woman only makes 82 cents. 17% difference for doing the same job, for being co-workers for doing the same work, 17% less. So to say it's better for women than it used to be, yeah, okay, but do we have room for improvement? Absolutely, absolutely. And honestly, based on my understanding of the scripture, on the understanding of the Bible, Christians should be on the front edge of this. The Bible often gets painted as like being this misogynistic book, right? And I, and I get it. There is a case to be made for that, especially if you look into the Hebrew text. Like, I'm not defending that. It was a different time and a different place. But I believe most of that had to do much more with the thinking and the ideas of man than it ever did with God. And if you look closely through some of that, you will see these little glimpses of God protecting and honoring women in this predominantly patriarchal society. And then when you get into the New Testament, we see Jesus continually honoring and elevating women because Jesus, as always, is on the side of those who are on the underside of power of society. Jesus had women disciples, Matthew chapter 12. He replied to him, who is my brother and who are, or who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus points to his disciples, who by context are obviously men and women. He wouldn't have said, is my mother, if it was only men who he was pointing to. We also know that Jesus traveled with women, which would have been completely counterculture at this time. We also know that Jesus' ministry and the 12 disciples were supported by women. Look at this, Luke chapter 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. And also, some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Well, yeah, but Seth, like, uh, 
Jesus didn't have any women in the, in the inner 12, the inner circle of the 12 disciples. Obviously, a clear sign that men should be in charge of everything and that, you know, women can help, but they should just, like, know their place. Not necessarily. For the Jewish people, the number 12 represented the government of God's kingdom, the kingdom that was founded upon the 12 tribes of Israel, which comes from the 12 sons of Jacob. The, t- the 12 sons, the 12 named male disciples of Jesus are a sign corresponding to the 12 tribes. Jesus is making a statement to the Jewish people. And this statement is not only using the number of disciples, but the gender. Jesus chooses 12 men Not because men are superior and it's a mandate for all future aspects of leadership. He was making a connection for the people at the time. He's using this prophetic symbolism to let the Jewish people know that he is in fact the one who was sent by the God of Israel and that he is now ushering in a whole new kind of kingdom. He's saying, hey, you remember that? Yeah, look, see, we're we're painting the picture. We're making the parallel here. Now that you get it, let's move this whole thing forward. Through me, through Jesus, there's a whole new way to live and be. And then what we see is when you get in out of the Gospels into the book of Acts, you have the new covenant, you have the, uh, the thing that happens at Pentecost, and after that moment, you no longer see or hear of the 12 as this leadership body. Because the kingdom of God was bringing a new credential system. In God's kingdom, race, status, gender do not determine one's place. We see Paul talking about this in in Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The kingdom of God is pro-equality. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So whatever lines that we draw to elevate some over others, whatever rules we come up with to include or exclude, whatever uh, labels that we use, whatever perspectives that we maintain that in any way, shape, or form serve to separate or divide or lessen a person's humanity, we should be against. These have all been done away with in God's kingdom. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So all that to say, I appreciate Sinead's words here and her boldness in her letter to Miley. And I think if more men and if more women took all of this to heart, I do believe it would lead to a better world for all of us. Okay, now, let's move on to the song. Okay, now this song today, this song is a bit more upbeat than the ones we've been looking at the past couple weeks, and hopefully you're like, yay, One that's not so, like, emotionally heavy. Yeah, yeah, this one's a bit more upbeat. Um, We looked at VIP last week. That song came out in 2012. Then you have the letter from Miley, or to Miley, that comes out in 2013. And then in 2014, Miley, uh, Miley, I got Miley on the brain. Uh, Sinead releases her final full-length album called I'm Not Bossy, I'm the Boss. And this album is a bit more poppy than her previous albums. And this song that we're going to look at is called... Take me to church. Okay? Are you ready? Okay. Hey, you guys do it. I don't want to love the way I loved before. I don't want to love that way no more. What have 
I've been writing love songs for I don't want to write them anymore I don't want to sing from where I sang before I don't want to sing that way no more What have I been singing love songs for? I don't want to sing them anymore I don't want to be that girl no more I don't want to cry no more I don't want to die no more So cut me down from this here tree Cut the rope from off of me Set me on the floor I'm the only one I should adore Oh, take me to church I've done so many bad things It hurts, yeah Take me to church But not the ones that hurt Cause that ain't the truth And that's not what it's worth Yeah, take me to church Oh, take me to church I've done so many bad things It hurts, yeah Get me to church But not the ones that hurt Cause that ain't the truth And that's not what it's worth I'm gonna sing songs of loving and forgiving Songs of eating and of drinking Songs of living, songs of calling in the night Cause songs are like a bolt of light And love's the only love you should invite Songs of love and spiteful fails Songs that won't let you sit still Songs that mend your broken bones And don't leave you alone So get me down from this here tree And take the rope from off of me Set me on the floor I'm the only one I should adore Oh, take me to church I've done so many bad things It hurts, yeah Take me to church But not the ones that hurt Cause that ain't the truth And that's not what it's worth Yeah, take me to church Oh, take me to church I've done so many bad things It hurts, yeah Get me to church But not the ones that hurt Cause that ain't the truth And that's not what it's worth Oh, yeah Get me to church But not the ones that hurt Cause not what it's worth All right, so I really like this song, and this, this song, when it came out, did better commercially than many of her other albums and her other songs. This song itself was nominated for Best Song of the Year in 2015 at the Grammys. It didn't win, but it was nominated. It did win the Song of the Year at the Music uh, Choice Music Awards in Ireland. Now, the song I find very interesting because... Ultimately, if you, uh, by the way, I forgot to mention, the lyrics are in the notes. If you I messed that up, I should have told you earlier. But if you want to follow along, they're in the notes in the sermon tabs under sermon notes. Okay. Um, but the, the lyrics, if you pay attention to it, like underneath all of it, this really is ultimately a song about redemption. She's using church as a metaphor as, uh, for the complexities of both love and religion and the effect that these things can have on one's own personal freedom. Okay, so she starts with the line, I don't want to love the way I loved before. I don't want to love that way no more. What have I been writing love songs for? I don't want to write them anymore. I don't want to be that girl no more. I don't want to cry no more. I don't want to die no more. 
So it's this very kind of straightforward, like, like I'm not who I used to be. I've grown. I've changed. I, I'm going to leave some of this other stuff behind. Then she sings, so cut me down from this here tree, cut the rope from off of me, set me on the floor. I'm the only one I should adore. Now, she's talking about all these old things that she's been trapped by that have been strangling her, so to speak, talking about her previous relationships as well as her relationship with like an oppressive religion. She, she makes, she's made these things her highest priority at the neglect of herself. And now she's going, yeah, but I have to be able to see the value in me as I am rather than depending on these things alone to give me value. So she repeats this line, I am the only one I should adore, a couple of times throughout the songs. Now, I don't believe this is simply just a celebration of self, as in, I don't need God, or as in, I'm only going to offer adoration to myself instead of God. But I believe rather, as she's singing this, this is the realization that her identity and her sense of self isn't found from being dependent on relationship with others and isn't found in being dependent on religion itself. And so she's stepping into the fullness of her identity as she was created to be, which then allows her to have this new sense of strength for future relationships, as well as allowing her to have this deeper connection with the God who created her, rather than the God that's represented by the religion that oppressed her, okay? So then she gets into the chorus, oh, take me to church. I've done so many bad things, it hurts. Yeah, take me to church but not the ones that hurt, because that ain't the truth. And that's not what it's worth. That's not what it's worth. Yeah, take me to church. This is a statement about both relationships and actual church. When it comes to relationships, she knows she's messed things up, but also she's pointing to this idea that healthy relationships can be quite beautiful. We were made for relationships. So they can be quite beautiful, but also unhealthy relationships can cause a lot of pain, and that's not what it's for. When it comes to actual church, I think we see the same thing, don't we? The church has done a, a, a lot of good around the world. It's provided love and comfort and help for people. But there's also a lot of churches that have caused a lot of damage. There's a lot of people that have experienced hurt and pain at the hands of the church. And that's not what it's for. And that's not the truth. I think most of us would agree with her in this sentiment. Then you get into the second verse, which, which I love. She says, I'm going to sing songs of loving and forgiving. I'm going to sing songs of eating and of drinking, songs of living, songs of calling in the night, because songs are like a bolt of light, and love is the only love you should invite. Songs of long and spiteful fails, songs that don't let you sit still, songs that mend the broken bones and don't leave you alone. I, I love this part because it's this beautiful, powerful anthem. It's, it's almost like a psalm itself. It's, it's like the truth will set you free. It's when God and relationships are done right, there is this response when you experience this truth. It's an incredibly powerful thing. It's loving and forgiving and healing and inviting, and it's the fullness of life that doesn't leave you alone. This song is about redemption and liberation. Now, two things I want to address with this song. Okay? The first is this, the, like the church pain, church hurt, church trauma stuff. I, I know many people have been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by the church. Not as bad as some, but I've experienced my fair share of judgment by religious people. I've experienced my fair share of condemnation by religious people. 
I still experience that from time to time. I've experienced the fear and oppression of religion. I know the, the pain of being taught that you at your core are nothing more than this flawed piece of worm, dirt bag sort of mentality. Um, but I also know that this was never the message of Jesus. This was never the message of people and when I, of Jesus. And when I hear people attempting to defend the church and bad things that the church has done from time to time, I hear them say things like, well, you weren't hurt by God. You were hurt by people, right? So, like, get over it because God is loving and that's just people making a mess. And yes, I, I get it, but sometimes that's not super helpful, right? The hurt is still the hurt. Yes, the church has done a lot of good things, but the church has also been a great source of hurt and pain and wrong, which I'm sure absolutely breaks the heart of God. You know, the scripture offers a lot of reasons as to why Jesus came. And none of them are about starting a religion. None of them are about forming an institution. None of them are about control. None of them are about heaping guilt and shame on people. Let me show you a few things that Jesus says about himself about why he came. This isn't all of them. He says a lot of things, but here's just a few. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law of their prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law. Mark chapter 2. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He's come to heal. Mark chapter 10, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve. Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to rescue. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And to me, when I read the scriptures, this passage right here, this John 10 this, to me, kind of is the capstone to all of it. Everything Jesus was, everything Jesus did was so that you, me, we, all of humanity may experience the fullness of life that God has created for us to experience. So any church or any religion that controls and stifles and oppresses and guilts and shames or tries to continually convince people how garbage they are, in the words of Sinead, that ain't the truth. And that's not what it's for. Jesus came that we may have the fullness of life. That's the good news. That's the gospel message that you may be set free. So when, which brings us to the second thing I want to talk about in this song. It's, it's, it's the second verse. So the, this verse to me is like the understanding. It's the experience that she's had in being set free. And now she wants to sing to others about what this experience has been like. Right, this, this actually reminds me of, of uh, the demon-possessed guy in Matthew chapter 5. If you remember, this guy's been demon-possessed for years. He's been being controlled by evil spirits. And then Jesus shows up and sets the, the, the spirits free, and they go into the pigs, and the pigs like, die and whatever. And so people get upset with Jesus. They're like, you kill our pigs. And they try to chase them out of town. Now, watch what happens here um, as Jesus is trying to leave the region. Matthew chapter 5, 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. The man, after being enslaved to something beyond himself, is finally set free. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Now go tell somebody about it. So he goes out and he starts to tell stories about what Jesus has done for him. He's singing these songs. He's singing these beautiful songs that moved and stirred people to the point that it says they were amazed by what he said. So Sinead sings, I'm going to sing songs of loving and forgiving. I'm going to sing songs of living, songs of calling in the night, songs that mend the broken bones, songs that don't leave you alone. This to me is all very much like the Psalms in the scripture. Psalms 30 says this, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down into the pit. Let's skip down to verse 11, same Psalms. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praise and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Right? This, is, this whole second verse of the song is this beautiful expression of redemption and love and healing and freedom and being set free from finding your value and worth in relationships and in religion and stepping into the fullness of the God who created you and, and being able to experience the fullness of life that Jesus actually came to offer. And then she closes with this chorus, oh, take me to church. Oh, take me to church. Yeah, because that's what church should be like, a place of mercy and grace and freedom and forgiveness, a place that doesn't just point to itself and try to get you to be dependent upon it but rather a place that lifts you up, that sets you free, a place who is supposed to put on display the very love of God, the very love of God that as far as the east is from the west remembers your sins no more, the very love of God that desperately seeks and cares for the least of these, the very love of God in which all humanity, regardless of race and gender, are equal in Christ. The very love of God that invites and is poured out on and accepts all people. Because that is the truth. And that is what it's for. I mean, wouldn't you want to go to that church? Sometimes I feel like I do go to that church. Amen. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, take me to church where there's freedom, forgiveness, life. Not the ones that hurt. Not, not those ones. I don't, I don't want to go to those ones. We've had enough of those ones. I want to go to a place that's bringing this fresh wind, this fresh air, this new thing that gets me excited that I can't help but sing about what God has done for me. I want to go to that church. <laughs>